1845, a quickly spreading mold began to destroy potato plants in Ireland, unleashing what we now know as the Great Famine. Many of the poor in Ireland depended on potatoes as their primary food source, and about one-eighth of the population died from hunger or disease over the next several years. Upon hearing of this crisis, the people of Boston were incredibly moved. On February 18, 1847, Boston's leading citizens held a meeting at Faneuil Hall in response to the news of this devastating food crisis in Ireland. With the failure of the potato crop several years in a row, tens of thousands of Irish peasants were suffering from malnutrition, disease, and exposure. Between 1847 and 1851, over a million Irish men, women, and children died. As the people of Boston recognized the significance of this tragedy, donations poured in. Boston's Catholic community sent over $150,000 in 1847 to, a, to this famine-stricken country. Another Boston Relief Committee collected 800 tons of food and clothing. And they persuaded the U.S. government to allow a fully loaded warship to sail on a mercy mission from Boston to Ireland. The people of Boston understood charity. And so the poor in Ireland began to see these Bostonians as their friends. Many of those Irish who were fortunate enough to flee from the country chose to come to Boston because of Boston's immense charity. However, upon arriving in Boston, these Irish immigrants were in for a rude awakening. It is said that the Bostonians stood and pointed at them and laughed as they got off the ship because of the clothes that they wore. The people of Boston began taking advantage of the Irish. They forced them into unskilled jobs that no one else wanted. The landlords began taking full advantage of them as well. They subdivided homes in South Boston into cheap housing, really hurting entire families to live in a single 9 by 11 foot room with no water, no sanitation, no ventilation, or no daylight. You see, at this point in time in history, there was no enforcement of sanitary regulations. There were no building codes. There were no fire safety codes. And so the landlords could do as they pleased. A single family, three-story home along the waterfronts that once belonged to prosperous, wealthy individuals could be divided up room by room into housing for over 100 Irish families, yielding significant profits. You see, the people of Boston understood charity, but not hospitality. They were willing to help the Irish from a distance as long as they didn't come here and mess up what Boston had. Charity often blinds us to hospitality. As long as we could do good deeds, we're off the hook from actually welcoming others into our lives, right? I mean, as long as we pay our tithe, as long as we donate to the food pantry, we don't actually have to reach out and demonstrate hospitality to those who are different than ourselves. Right? 
James might disagree. James has traditionally been considered an epistle or a letter, but many scholars suggest that it is much more like a homily or a sermon. For James does not hesitate to tell his followers what they are to do. In this brief letter of 108 verses, there are 59 commands. James writes like many of the Old Testament prophets. He addresses the situations that are going on in his day, and he provides a vision for the way things are supposed to be. And many people through the years have struggled with James. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther actually wanted to cut James out of the Bible entirely because he said the letter had no quality of the gospel, that it only had a negative voice. Throughout history, James seems to have made some pretty important people pretty upset. And yet throughout James's text, Jesus' words are riddled everywhere. Not so much Jesus' specific sayings, but rather James weaves Jesus' ideas sayings and themes into his own words. Apparently, James did not take a class in college about citing his sources. His professors probably would have failed him for plagiarizing Jesus's material and putting them in his own words. And seriously, he didn't just plagiarize someone. I mean, he plagiarized the Son of God. It's pretty serious. But in all seriousness, the overwhelming majority of James's teaching is adapted from the Sermon on the Mount. He pulls it directly from Jesus' words. Throughout chapter 1, James challenges his listeners to find their identity as true children of God by living in harmony with how God works and acts in the world. For God is just, so we are to be just. For God is compassionate, so we are to be compassionate. For God demonstrates hospitality, so we ought to demonstrate hospitality. James ends chapter 1 by saying this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. God has shown specific hospitality to the poor, so we are to show the same specific hospitality to the poor. Charity, according to James, is not enough. James begins today's reading by posing a hypothetical situation to his listeners, or maybe it was one of those situations that he had seen go on and addressed it to his listeners. He was basically saying, now that I have told you this, what is actually happening in your congregations? What is actually happening when you are assembling together? When an elegantly dressed man with gold rings and radiant clothing visits your congregation, is he treated more special than the homeless beggar in filthy rags? See, James suspects that we give more honor to those we stand to gain more from. In one way, James is speaking to a particular context. We don't necessarily consider radiant clothing to be signed of someone who's important, or gold rings necessarily to be signs of someone who's important. We don't actually consider the seats at the front to be the seats of honor, right? We're all not fighting over these couple front row seats each and every week. And so in some ways, James is speaking to his context, 
Because we don't value these things necessarily like James did. And yet in other ways, James is speaking directly to us. For he is speaking to all forms of discrimination on the basis of appearance practiced within communities. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to work with a youth group from Ohio who was doing a mission trip to Boston. This group decided they wanted to be, you know, about God's good news in the world. And so they all raised hundreds of dollars each to come to Boston and do this mission trip. And while they were here, some of the things that I did with them, they threw a birthday party for several homeless children living in Roxbury. They distributed food at a local food pantry. And they actually shared a meal with homeless individuals in Boston Common. Every student on the trip made two sandwiches. And they went to Boston Common and found someone to give the other sandwich away to, to share a meal with them. These students really understood charity while they were here. And upon returning to Ohio, their youth pastor kept in touch with me. Some of the students were so moved on this trip that they started serving at a homeless luncheon in downtown Columbus. These students were beginning to embody hospitality, not just charity. But then it happened. One of the students naively invited a homeless family back to their church on a Sunday. The family was not welcomed. The family had accidentally sat in the seats where someone else sat every week. And they were asked to move to the back. And then they were suggested to check out the urban congregation down the street that might fit them just a little better. For charity often blinds us to hospitality. As long as we do good deeds, we're off the hook from actually welcoming others into our lives. Right? James would disagree. This form of favoritism that James is addressing is one that excludes others on the basis of appearance. Throughout this country's history, we don't have a good track record with discrimination. Race and gender are two primary ways that people have excluded themselves from one another. And while we have come a long way, in each of these areas, there is still much more work to do. People are still divided based on race and based on gender. And yet in today's world, there are many other additional things that we choose to divide ourselves over as well. You see, what James is trying to say is that we need one another with different experiences to speak into one another's lives. For charity isn't enough. Charity often blinds us to hospitality. Hospitality involves vulnerability. It involves welcoming other people into our lives so much in humility that we allow them and their experiences to change our own experiences, to change our own conceptualizations of the way that we view the world. Charity is rooted in privilege. I help them because they need me and I want to help them do better. Hospitality says that they don't just need me, but I need them as well. I need those who are different to speak into my life, to challenge assumptions that I make about the world and about things. Throughout Jesus' ministry, 
He invited every single individual into his group. He invited all to share life with him. He invited women. That was pretty significant in his day and age. He invited fishermen, tax collectors, Pharisees, prostitutes, rulers, sick people, demon-possessed people, and every single thing in between. Jesus' life testified that the kingdom of God is made up of all different types and kinds of people, especially those that are considered different or unacceptable, or as James would say, poor. According to James, when the poor cannot find a place in a Christian church, that church no longer has any connection to Jesus. James recognizes the temptation that we face to favor people like us or people who we wish we were. We often favor them over people who struggle because people who struggle remind us of how fickle our own good fortune can actually be. And this is half-hearted discipleship. This is charity, not hospitality. For we all want to be comfortable. We all want to experience only life's ups. We all want to be insulated from life's downs so that we, can, so, so that we don't have to experience trouble. And so it's easy to avoid and ignore those who are down and who are out. This is charity. I can help others from a distance rather than actually embodying the gospel of hospitality. And yet James would disagree. James paints a different picture. James paints a picture of wholehearted discipleship. James' picture is one where we are required to be faithful to all of our sisters and brothers, the orphans, the widows, the naked, the hungry, the wounded, the broken, the excluded, and the left-behind bystanders. We are called to share love with all of our sisters and brothers. According to James, those who are the most despised by the world are to be regarded as heirs of the kingdom of God and therefore treated as such. They are to be given the seat of honor. They are the ones we are to invite into our lives in hospitality with humility so that we might actually grow as well. You know, our natural inclination, our impulse is to show generous hospitality to those who need it least. And to actually exclude those from the fellowship who may need it most. Our impulse is to offer charity, not hospitality. Faith that turns its back on the suffering of others has no integrity. What good is it? When someone asks for food or clothing, to turn our back on them and say, I'll pray for you, does that take away their needs? Maybe God is desiring us, you and me, to be the answers to someone else's prayer. Maybe that is who we're called to be. Faith that turns his back on the suffering of others has no integrity. James would even call this faith dead. Faith with no works is dead. For faith is more than a cognitive ascent. Faith is more than a theological formula. Faith is in action. Faith is rooted in hospitality, not just charity. Faith that is alive makes a difference in us and in our relationships.
Faith reorders our desire away from securing our own well-being and enhancing our own image based on who we keep company with. Faith beckons us to make friends among the least of these. Faith pushes us towards opening our lives and hospitality to those who are different than ourselves. This is the kind of faith that it's alive. And I'm not talking about send some supplies somewhere during a famine kind of faith. I'm not talking about going on a missions trip so we can pat ourselves on our back kind of faith. I'm talking about truly demonstrating God's love and building relationships with people who have had very different experiences than ourselves. For we all have a posture toward others. Is your posture towards others who are different than yourself open? Or is it closed? Is this congregation's posture toward others open? Or is it closed? James quotes Jesus and Leviticus when he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then James continues, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. See, we often talk about loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's one of those really cool things that Jesus said. And yet, if we're honest, at times that phrase can be a bit idealistic. It can be a little gray as well. I mean, what does it really mean to love? I love my wife, but I also love Chinese food, right? Love can mean a lot of different things. And so what does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves? Do I love them with the love I have for Aisha or the love I have for General Gao's chicken, right? I mean, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does that really mean? What is James quoting Jesus, quoting Leviticus, really getting at? In James's story, he first defines who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is anyone who enters our space. And that could be communally as a congregation who enters these doors, or it could be individually. Someone who enters your own space, your own life, your own experiences. Our neighbor is anyone who enters our space or our lives, not only those that we find valuable, but those who are different and maybe even appear a little bit threatening to us. Love for James is welcoming someone into our lives and giving them the seat of honor. Love for James is welcoming someone into our lives and giving them the seat of honor. It involves humility, teachability, and it's rooted first and foremost in hospitality, not just charity. Throughout the book of James, he lists several behaviors that are irreconcilable with love. Discrimination is incompatible with love, according to James. Judging others is incompatible with love, according to James. Talking bad about someone behind their back is incompatible with love, according to James. And oppressing the poor is incompatible with love, according to James. Poor James in God and love for God cannot be separated from how we treat others. 
James demands that we pay attention to the homeless family that enters our fellowship. James demands that we notice the desperately needy person on our city streets. James demands that we take care of widows and orphans. James demands that we readjust our lives, that we readjust our time, so that we have a posture of openness to welcome all in. These aren't suggestions by James. These are responsibilities. This is what real faith is about. This is what alive faith is about. Charity isn't enough. Love and faith, true love, true authentic faith requires hospitality. So let us not be like the people of Boston who sent in charity but refused to welcome the Irish immigrants into their city and into their lives. Let us not be like that church from Ohio who comes on a mission trip and pats themselves on the back but refuses to welcome the individuals from their own city into their midst. Let us be different. Let us be open. Let us be real. Let us be vulnerable. Let us be compassionate. Let us be people of hospitality. People who are so moved by the plight of someone else that we create space for them in our hearts and in our minds. James is really requiring that we open our hearts so fully that we risk our hearts being broken for others. So we're going to close our time of diving into the word this morning by singing a song that's entitled let your hearts be broken because i think that's what james is getting at our faith equals deeds and our deeds must be rooted in hospitality not charity and so we'll sing we'll sing let your hearts be broken for a world in need Feed the mouths that hunger, soothe the wounds that bleed. Give the cup of water and the loaf of bread. Be the hands of Jesus, serving in his stead. I invite you to stand and sing.